You're listening to Ethnic Life Story, Trail of Trees, Episode 33, Tong Tritara. Ethnic Life Story Trail of Trees is a tribute project started by Springfield businessman Jim Malden in the early 2000s. Then, more than a decade later, the project reached Friends of the Garden at Nathaniel Green Close Memorial Park in Springfield, Missouri. Black gum trees were planted in 2012 at the northern edge of the park and symbolized the legacy left by ethnic community leaders. Each tree stands for an Ozark citizen who has left a lasting positive impact on their community through service, generosity, and tenacity. Each story is maintained and immortalized by a story keeper who has volunteered to ensure the legacy of the storyteller lives on. My full name is Tong Prasert Tritara, but most people call me Tong. In my mother's family, it is traditional that everyone use Tong as a first name. In Thai, Tong means golden, and Prasert means higher up. In our family, our maternal grandmother named all the children. My paternal grandfather emigrated from Vietnam to Thailand in the early 1800s. He moved to a village called Iodia, where there were a lot of people of Vietnamese descent. He chose Tritara as his surname because of the location of the land in which he chose to settle. Tri means three, and Tara means river. There are three main rivers that flow through the country. The biggest one is the Chao Praia. In Thailand, all transportation was by boat. Either a long boat or paddle boat was used to traverse the waterways. Most people made a living in farming, mainly rice, but also pigs, chicken, or vegetables. Many other people fished for a living. My family is Catholic since my grandmother emigrated from Vietnam, which is a Catholic country because of the French influence. My father's name was Prasert Tritara. He was about five foot four inches tall well-built, and strong. He was a hard worker and a very active person, always busy doing something. He was also very intelligent and could do just about anything. When I was born, he owned a boat factory and also worked as a whiskey distributor. When I was a little bit older, both of my parents ran a restaurant that was located next to the treasury. My father cooked Vietnamese food and my mother cooked Thai food. My mother's name was Tongkom Tipayosath, and she and her family were all natives of Thailand. She was also about five foot four inches tall, with pretty long black hair. A lot of my relatives on my mother's side were very talented and good-looking. In fact, two of my uncles and an aunt were famous state actors. They would travel around the country performing on an outdoor stage wherever there was a temple festival or a New Year's celebration. The costumes were very beautiful and very colorful. I was often asked by my grandmother to be an extra in these plays. They paid me with candy money, but I didn't enjoy it very much. 
My mother did a lot of classical singing and dancing, although not much after I was born. Later, she worked as a kindergarten teacher. She was a very calm and gentle lady who enjoyed cooking. I was born March 27, 1952, in Banban Province in Thailand, which is located about 50 miles from Bangkok. I have three brothers and three sisters. I am fifth in line. One night, when I was three years old, a man came in a boat to kill my whole family. I don't know the whole story, but my mother's right arm was cut with a big fighting sword when she tried to protect me from the fighting. My father was knocked onto the floor, and they thought he was dead. Both had to stay in a hospital for a long time. Since my grandmother also lived in our village, she came by boat to get me. Her name was Pyu Taiti Peosod. She was seventy years old at the time. My brothers went to a Catholic boarding school, and my sisters stayed with my parents after they got out of the hospital, and I went to stay with my grandmother. I identify with her the most. She was the one who told me this story. I did eventually find out who that guy was, but not why he did it. He is buried in the same cemetery as my grandfather. From that day, when I was three months old, until I was about seven, I traveled with my grandmother. We had a big family, and it was hard to keep all the grandchildren and great-grandchildren straight. I have many fond memories of my childhood, but one of my favorites is the boats that would come up the river selling vegetables, pork, noodles, and dessert for those who didn't want to cook. They had a little horn that was tooted to catch your attention. The long-tailed boats had an engine in the back to guide it, and some of the boats had paddles. Most of the houses were built on stilts on the banks of the river. This was to keep the rising river waters from flooding the homes. To get around to the other houses, a small boat was used. But if you were traveling to another village or province, a motorboat was used. Another good memory is fishing on the river. Everyone would keep a net, baskets, and bamboo in front of their house to be ready whenever a big boat came by. We would drop a net down in the water and wait for the waves from the boat to push fish in our direction, and then used the bamboo like a yo-yo to pull the nets back up. Then we would empty the fish into a basket. Some people would sell their catch, but we used ours for food. One of the things that I miss from my childhood is seeing the water buffalo. When I was a child, they were used to plow the rice fields. I used to sit on their neck and ride them. No one else in my family had this experience, so I feel very lucky. Today, the water buffalo have been replaced with modern machinery, so you don't see much of them anymore. I miss the environment of the boats and seeing the people paddling around all day long. My grandmother was a Buddhist, so while I stayed with her, I went to the temple and chanted with her. When I went back to live with my family at about the age of seven, I went to the Catholic Church with them. I prefer Catholicism, but Buddhism teaches you to be humble, calm, and relaxed. My nickname is Moo, which means little pig. My guess is I must have been a chubby little kid. I was told that when I was a kid, I could make my mouth look like a pig's snout. I still can. Thai people have two names and a nickname, and the nickname can be an animal, tree, or a thing. Thai people don't have middle names.
I didn't have chores to do when I stayed with my grandmother. We entertained ourselves by running around the rice fields, catching fish, and taking the water buffalo for a bath. I also went with my grandmother to the Buddhist temple every day. Our diet consisted mainly of rice, curry, and salad. We also ate a lot of fish, pork, and chicken. Most Thai people drink tea and coffee, which is pretty strong, like espresso, and they put in a lot of sugar. We also had Pepsi, Coca-Cola, and Fanta in orange and green. Fanta was really popular back then. As a kid, I used to sell toffee that my mom made, and sometimes I sold ice cream to people at their homes. I had a cooler for the ice cream that I put in a bamboo holder with a handle that I slung over my shoulder to carry the ice cream. I walked around and rang a bell to tell people I had ice cream to sell. I bought the ice cream from a wholesaler. I used my money to buy necessities, like clothes. When I was a teenager, my father bought a bigger house, and I got a room of my own. My sisters had stayed with my parents, and my brothers went to a Catholic boarding school to train to become priests until they were high school-aged. Because I had been taken to stay with my grandmother and my brothers were away, we didn't have much of a childhood together, but I loved them all very much. I went to a Catholic school at the age of six or seven. It had grades through twelve, like here in America. At this first school, I walked to and from school, which was about a mile. We had lunch there, but sometimes my mom would pack our lunches. We started learning English in kindergarten. I received a lot of honors in school for being one of the top Boy Scouts. I attended a vocational school later to learn electronics. One of the priests there who taught English was my favorite teacher. I never had any trouble with my teachers. They all seemed to like me. I was a well-liked kid and made friends easily. Holidays were much different in Thailand than they are here. We didn't hide eggs for Easter. We went to church. We didn't celebrate birthdays either. Maybe people with money did, but I never had a birthday party as a child. For me, it was just another day in life. Today, though, it is a tradition. There are a lot of national holidays in Thailand, but the biggest one is the King's Birthday, December 5th. It is a big celebration with a massive display of decorations and lights on every street and in every home, like Christmas here. October 23rd is also a holiday in Thailand. This is the date that King Rama V gave up slavery at the same time President Lincoln did. Thai people still love King Rama V because they feel they owe him for where the country is today, westernized and without slavery. In every single house and business, his picture is hung, and even taxicab drivers hang his picture on the mirror of their dashboards. When I was eight years old, my uncle taught me Muay Thai, which is kickboxing. Muay means boxing, and Thai means Thailand. In Thailand, this is a national sport, like baseball here. All young boys in Thailand learned how to kick, but it takes a long time to become good at it. When I came to America, I went to fights here as well as in Tijuana, Mexico. Later on, I became well-known in Muay Thai as a trainer and a teacher. I traveled a lot doing seminars on Muay Thai and sometimes took fighters to fight in different cities. In my restaurant today, I have pictures on the walls of kickboxers. It is a sport I enjoy and still participate in. As a teenager, I went to the movies every week or two. 
John Wayne and Steve McQueen were my two favorite actors. The most memorable movie I saw was The Sound of Music with Julie Andrews. All of the kids at school got to go see that one. I also liked Popeye and cowboy movies. There is no traditional age to begin dating in Thailand. It's up to your parents. I dated a girl when I was 16 or 17. We went to the movies or went roller skating. There were no nightclubs for young people then like there is now. When I first came to America, we wrote letters back and forth, but that was about as far as it went. I didn't date much. I finished junior high school at age 16 and passed a test for a two-year scholarship to go to Assumption Vocational School to study electronics. It was a private Catholic boarding school outside Bangkok. I went there instead of going to high school. There were 24 of us in the school, and everybody lived in a dormitory. It was a school for poor, smart kids. We worked our way through school by tending pigs and planting the garden, among other duties. They not only taught us about our chosen career of electronics, but also how to survive. My mother died toward the end of the two-year program, and I had to quit and get a job before graduation. But since I was the top student, they let me have my diploma and therefore graduate early. At the age of about 17 and a half, with an electronics and electrical degree, I took a job with a German company as an engineer's assistant. One of the things the company did was install communication substations in the mountains and in the jungle. My job was to install generators. I went with the engineer wherever we had to go to install the machines. It took from two weeks to a month to complete a job. Some of the jobs were dangerous, and it could get pretty scary. We could hear the communists fighting, and they would sometimes come down to check on what I was doing. I traveled all over Thailand for this job. When I was about 18 and a half, I came back to Bangkok. I was out with a friend one night and got stabbed in a street fight. I almost died. I was taken to the hospital where they told me that the cut had only missed my lung by about half an inch. I was very lucky. While I was in the hospital, my father and my brother Sari worked on getting me a visa to come to the U.S. They were afraid I would try to get revenge and either get myself killed or in a lot of trouble. After I got out of the hospital and recuperated, I went back to work for a couple of months until the paperwork was ready. Then I traveled to Los Angeles via Hawaii. I arrived May 5, 1971, with 500 bots which is about 25 American dollars. I was 19 by then. Sari had come in 1968. He had married a Mexican-American girl, and they were living in an apartment together, so I stayed with them at first. The day of my arrival, May 5th, was Cinco de Mayo, Mexican Independence Day. Los Angeles has a lot of Mexicans living there, so they really decorated for the celebration. I thought I had come to the wrong country. I celebrated that night with my brother and his wife and her parents. That night, Sari and his father-in-law showed me how to drink tequila with burritos and tamales. The meaning of Cinco de Mayo is not generally known here, but for Mexicans, it's like the 4th of July for Americans. I have had a lot of jobs. It was easy to get a job in the 70s when I was 19. My first job in the States was at a McDonald's on Weston Avenue in Hollywood. I met some new friends, and we got an apartment together. I didn't work there for very long, maybe two or three months. 
I didn't speak English very well at the time, and they put me to work making milkshakes. I couldn't do it. Then they had me sweeping the parking lot. I decided it would be easier to pump gas, so I got a job at a Texaco station on Los Angeles Boulevard up in the Hollywood Hills. A customer drove off without paying, so I ran after him and yanked him out of his car. I tried to get the money because if we were short, we had to make up the difference. I got fired. There was a little kid, probably about seven years old, who used to hang out at the station. I was teaching him how to kickbox. When he found out that I needed a job, he told me that his mother owned a restaurant called the Brightwater Cafe on Sunset Strip and that she would give me a job. So I went to talk with his mother and she put me to work bussing tables. The pay was $1.40 an hour. The Brightwater Cafe was the kind of place where Hollywood actors, screenwriters, directors, and musicians came. People came during all hours of the day and night to the Brightwater. It was always packed. I went to Hollywood High School during the day to learn English, and I worked at night. There was definitely a language problem while I was bussing tables, and I'm sure I had customers complaining about me because I couldn't understand them. One morning, when the bar was closing, about 2 a.m., three boys came in and started pushing people around. They started poking and pushing at me, and we ended up in a fight in the middle of the restaurant. Well, I'm a kickboxer, and I hurt one of those boys pretty badly. He ended up in the hospital, and I ended up in court. When the judge saw me, he laughed, because I weighed 125 pounds, and he dismissed the case. The owner then decided to put me in the kitchen so that I could learn to cook. I began learning how to cook American food. I guess I had talent because they put me in charge of the kitchen in about a month. I started using Thai seasoning, and the people really liked it. One of the actors who came in was a guy who played the chief in the movie F Troop, and through him I met the manager of the Troubadour nightclub, Kenny St. John. Mr. St. John liked the food, and he asked to meet me. He told me if I ever needed a job to come and see him. Later, the Brightwater Cafe had to be shut down because the taxes hadn't been paid. I remembered Mr. St. John's offer and went to go see him. The place was packed. He gave me a job on the spot, even though he knew I was not legal to work at the time. First, I was a cook and a bartender, and later the bar manager. The Troubadour was located between Beverly Hills and West Los Angeles. I cooked hamburgers and steaks and made sandwiches and salads. I got to meet a lot of famous people. The 70s were a prime time for Hollywood. For me, it was a busy time. I went to school in the day and had to work at night. Bars didn't close until 2 a.m. in California, so by the time I cleaned up and left, it would be 3 o'clock. I didn't have a car, so I either had to hitchhike or bum a ride home. Then I had to turn around and get up at 6 a.m. for school. That was tough. I went to school from the end of 71 to 76. First at Hollywood High School to learn English, and then to an adult high school called Cambria, where I got my high school diploma. After Cambria, I went to Compton Junior College in Compton, California. I decided to take a major in photography and graphic arts, since I didn't offer electronics. For a couple of years, I contributed to photographs and stories for the number one magazine in Thailand called Impressive Song Hits. I graduated from Compton in 1976 and quit the Troubadour. 
My next stop was in Woodland Hills, which is located a bit north of North Hollywood. This was in late 1977 or early 1978, and I worked for the Tennessee Gin and Cotton Nightclub. This was the most popular club in town, and very big. During the five years I worked at the Troubadour, I had a lot of free time on my hands. I used this time being a beach bum and a hippie. I would sleep at the beach even though I had an apartment and a van camper. After a while, the apartment got to be too expensive, so I just stayed at the beach. I had saved some money, so I decided to go up north to Lake Tahoe and relaxed for a while. After three or four months of this, it started to get boring, so I went to Redwood City up near San Francisco. I had a friend there and got a job in a Mexican restaurant called La Pasado. I wasn't there long when I was offered a job at the Ramada Hotel at the San Francisco airport. I was the captain waiter there and learned about gourmet dining. My boss had received a job offer in Springfield, Missouri, and asked me to go with him. I said, no, I don't want to go to the Midwest. There's nothing there. He called me from Springfield and asked again, offering pretty good money, so I agreed. In November of 1979, I came to Springfield. I was here about a year and then got in trouble with immigration as my visa had expired. If I could get married, I wouldn't have to be deported. I met Deborah Preston and asked her to help me out. She agreed, and we got married. My daughter, Shantra Maria Tritara, was born July 27, 1981, in Springfield. My new wife came from Lebanon, Missouri, so we decided to go there and open the town's first Chinese restaurant. We named it The Magic Walk and served Chinese and Thai food. It did pretty well when we first opened. I met a doctor and a lawyer from Camdenton who came in the restaurant. They liked the food and told me they would back me up if I started a restaurant in Osage Beach. I was still young and decided to go for it. We opened the Magic Walk 2 in Osage Beach and worked in both restaurants, driving back and forth. I made a mistake and fooled around on my wife and got caught, and we got a divorce. I ended up losing my restaurant in Lebanon. Business was slow at the restaurant in Osage Beach during the winter months, so I went to Tucson, Arizona to work for John Q. Hammonds in the Palo Verde Holiday Inn. In the spring, I came back and reopened the restaurant at the lake. My partner moved to another town, so we closed the place at the end of the season. I came back to Springfield and worked as the manager at the University Plaza for six months. I missed the lake so much that I decided to go back to Osage Beach and open another restaurant. I had a partner in the business who was also a real estate agent. The restaurant was called Tongs, and it did well. The restaurant was packed because I got everybody at the lake to eat there. The owner of the Four Seasons, the manager of Tantera, every single business owner and chef at the Lake of the Ozarks, people in the food business, hillbillies, people who liked barbecue, families, everybody came to eat at my restaurant. We had a motto, the place for chefs to dine out on their day off. Unfortunately, my partner and I didn't get along and we had a disagreement. I found out later that he was trying to get me in trouble with the law to get rid of me. One of the chefs at the restaurant was involved, and I went to his cabin to confront him about it. He lived right next door to the restaurant, so when I closed for the night at about two o'clock, I went over and knocked on his door. I guess he was afraid I was going to beat him up, 
because he started shooting out the window. This was on Halloween, and there were a lot of people out, so there were a lot of witnesses. He hit me in the stomach, and the bullet lodged next to my spine. This is a very dangerous place to operate, and the bullet is still there. At Osage Beach, I partied at the lake. People came from all over, St. Louis, Chicago, Kansas City, and there was plenty of money to make. Everybody loved me. I've got a good personality, served good food, and had a lot of friends. But that was the end of tongs. While I was in the hospital, they tried to keep it open, but what good is tongs without tongue? I was flat broke, didn't have a job, and my health was not good. A lot of people from the lake came in and prayed for me. My family couldn't come to visit me because they lived so far away, but my daughter did come to see me. She was two or three at the time. I thought of God and prayed that I wouldn't die. It was a wake-up call for me. I was a tough guy, no more. I asked the Lord how I needed to spend the rest of my life. I worked my way up to become the manager of a fine dining restaurant called Café Casablanca, after the movie, which was located inside the tennis racket club. They called me Ricardo Tong. We had a big grand opening with lots of people from Hollywood in attendance. I like to keep busy, and I never do just one thing at a time, so I opened the Midwest Muay Thai Kickboxing Academy in a small building on Commercial Street. Kickboxing became popular, and I began putting on fights. Boxers would come from everywhere. At this time, I was appointed by the Jefferson City Athletic Department to become the State of Missouri Advisor in Boxing and Kickboxing. I was now on the Boxing Commissioner's Advisory Committee. Later on, I became a State Inspector. This was volunteer work, but all my expenses were paid whenever I needed to travel out of town. My job was to keep an eye on Springfield by checking equipment and current licenses, physical checkups for the fighters, and other duties. Later on, I met my new wife, Michelle Black. She worked as a bartender and was originally from Jonesboro, Arkansas. We dated for five years before we got married. We had a son on March 28, 1993, and we named him Dakota Tong Tritara. His nickname is Ko. We later got a divorce, and my son lived with me for the first couple of years. Now I see him on Sundays. He and his mother live in Springfield, and we remain friendly. I started getting popular with my kickboxing academy and had articles in national magazines about my history in kickboxing and karate. I was a pioneer in kickboxing in the United States. I started getting people from other states to drive and fly here to study with me. In 1998, I started an organization called Muay Thai USA. People started inviting me to their town seminars on the weekends. Then I opened Tong's Restaurant on South Campbell Avenue in 1999. I don't know how long I'll keep Tong's Restaurant. I can't tell the future. I think everybody has a mission in life. Mine is to become a millionaire. It probably won't happen, but I'm working on it. My real mission is to do good for people who need help, especially young people. I want to use my experience to help young people in trouble with drugs and other problems. I like to do kickboxing, and it's something that I can use to help young people build confidence in themselves. 
I want to keep kids off the street, help them when they're not doing well, and give them a place to go. I would like to keep them from just hanging out and getting in fights on the streets. I feel like I have realized my mission, in part as I have already helped lots of people. My greatest accomplishment so far has been owning my own business. I work for myself, which means I don't have to rely on a paycheck. A rewarding aspect of my life is the good health of my children and myself. God has truly blessed me in this area. I'm able to pay the bills on my business without struggling, though sometimes it's a push. I'm strong both mentally and physically. This is another blessing from the Lord. The most important thing in life is being in good health. Eat well, live well, live comfortably. Whatever you lose in life, if you have good health and good strong hands, you can make it back. It's like building a sandcastle. The wind and the waves come and knock it down, but you keep building it back up, over and over. It's the same with kickboxing. If I get my opponent down first, he's in trouble, and if he gets me down first, I'm in trouble. You can't give up. When you get knocked down, you have to get back up and try harder. I've been knocked out lots of times. It's part of the game. My grandmother has had the most profound influence on my life. She always told me to eat well, sleep well, and take good care of my health. She had me drink ginger juice when I was a kid because of its cleansing effects on the body and to eat herbal cooking. Thai cooking is cooking with different herbs, such as lemongrass, basil, and garlic, to name a few. I feel my special role in Springfield has been to bring authentic Thai food to the people here. I spend most of my time working nowadays. On Sundays, I spend time with my son and my girlfriend, and sometimes I play tennis or kickbox. If my life could have been different, I wish I could have been born into the king's royal family in Thailand, or just into a wealthy family, or had been born a cowboy. The bitterness and hardships of my life and being poor in my childhood have taught me a great deal. I believe I'm a better person for it, and although I would not want to go through it again, I am strong because of it. They say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and I really believe that. I'm strong in my mind today and calmer. I believe my faith has a lot to do with where I am today in my life. To forgive and forget and to turn the other cheek are not always easy to do. One of the hardest things I've ever done was go to the Camden 10 jail to see the guy who shot me, but I felt that was something that I needed to do. I went there to forgive him and to tell him that he didn't need to look over his shoulder because I'm not going to be coming after him seeking revenge. I told him that I felt truly lucky to be alive. I also told him that I hoped that the bullet in my body had changed two people's lives. It changed mine, and I prayed that it would change his life as well. I have seen him since in Springfield, and when he saw me, he started to run away. I stopped him and told him again that I forgave him. I chose to forgive him and walk away rather than to let myself get angry. I felt welcomed when I first came to this part of the country. I didn't feel rejected at all. Before I moved to Missouri from California, I had a friend who told me not to come here because of the rednecks. They also told me that Chinese people were hung here. They were afraid I would be discriminated against because of my nationality. 
At the time, most Americans saw an Asian person and thought immediately of Vietnam. They couldn't distinguish between different nationalities. But, fortunately, not everyone is like the KKK. In fact, this part of the country reminds me a lot of my homeland in many ways. Thai people are friendly, and there are a lot of temples. People here are friendly, and there are a lot of churches. After you hold a green card for five years, you can take a test to become a U.S. citizen. I was living at Osage Beach when this happened, and there was a big article in the newspaper about it with a picture of me. The written test was in Kansas City. They asked me questions like who is the president, and who are your senators, and how long are their terms. We recited the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. We were then sworn in as Americans and gave up our old country. I love Thailand, but it has a class system. I love living in America, the freedom, the system, being able to say whatever you want, everything. So giving up my homeland for this country was easy for me to do. Plus, I've dreamed of being an American cowboy ever since I was a little kid. Thailand is a third-world country that is still based on the class system, with the majority of the people being poor. My family was part of this majority, and I learned a lot about the bitterness and toughness of life because of this. When I was a small child, I traveled from place to place with my grandmother, and if she hadn't been there for me, who knows where I would be today. I owe her so much for giving me a good beginning to my life. Those early days gave me a strong foundation that I've built my life on. If not for her and living through those hardships, I would not have many of the positive characteristics that I have today. I have had three pivotal moments in my life. The first was when I got stabbed when I was living in Thailand. It was because of this incident that I came to America. The boy I fought didn't know that he was actually giving me a blessing. I confess I didn't realize it either until much later. He was the tool that God used to bring me out of poverty and into a country where I could be free to discover myself and reach my potential. The second moment came when I was shot while living in Osage Beach. This close call helped me realize how precious life is, to value it and not take it for granted. It also helped me come to terms with the fact that being a tough guy and fighting wasn't a good way to get through life. The third turning point came when I ended up in the hospital with an intestinal blockage that the doctors couldn't find. When I prayed to God, he answered me and spared my life once more. I never saw him, but he spoke to me, and I knew God had a very real presence in my life. I think that most people don't realize how lucky they are to be alive. Just being here to see my children growing up is a blessing. I have been on my own since I was 17 years old. This was after my mother had passed away and right before I graduated high school. It was then I had to start earning my own money and learning how to support myself. When I first came to the United States, I had very little money, but still managed to put myself through school while working a full-time job. There have been several times in my life that I had to basically start over. I am proud to say that I was able to make it on my own without having the support of family nearby. I have been fortunate to travel a lot and have seen much of the world, mainly through my lifelong passion of kickboxing. It provided me with the opportunity to see a variety of places and to meet lots of interesting people. 
In my travels around this country, I have noticed many differences between other towns and cities and Springfield. All of the places I've been, I enjoy living in Springfield the most and plan to stay here. I hope to have continued success here. I love this area and the beautiful countryside. I love being a part of a growing community where the people are friendly. Since moving to Springfield, I have been blessed with meeting many new people who have become good friends to me. The kindness I have been shown is amazing. This is an edited version of Tritara's story. You can read each story in its entirety at thelibrary.org or by clicking the link in the description of this post. The story keeper for Tong Tritara is Idel Lewis. Music is Bach Cello Suite No. 3 in C Major by Colin Carr at freemusicarchive.org under an attribution, non-commercial, no derivative, 3.0 United States license. Story excerpts edited and read by Diana Dudenhafer. <laughs>